So uh, yeah, uh, I'm Kevin DeYoung. I'm part of the AWS professional services team based out of Minneapolis. Um, and I have uh, been helping out with this project with Optum for the past uh, four months. And it's been um, kind of since I was first given the proposal or the option to come work there on this project, I was been pretty excited for it. Uh, it's, you know, working with Optum, trying to come up with something, make it open source was kind of a great opportunity. And then what they were trying to solve was something I've seen at almost all my other customers uh, while I've been at professional services. So it's just been kind of a, a fun way to um, work, try to um, do some coding, uh, open source some stuff, and uh, actually solve some problems that I think are, exist at a lot of places and with a lot of customers. So um, with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Marissa and Matt uh, to kind of kick it off and get it going. So thanks. Yeah, thanks, good. Kevin. Thanks. Kevin, a round of applause. <laughs> All right, so I want to kick off our talk with some introductions. My name is Marissa Crosby. I am a product manager here at Optum. Uh, a little bit about myself. I started within the healthcare technology industry about five years or so ago. Really started out as a developer, spent a lot of time kind of in between the business and the technology, and uncovered a passion for product development. Uh, that's why I'm here, really excited about building products kind of in the healthcare technology space, specifically what we focus on are creating tools to help empower our developers to adopt the cloud and new technologies. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Matt. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Myers. I'm a lead cloud engineer here at Optum. Um, I've been a developer for about a little over five years now. I've worked kind of all over the stack and came to Optum. I've been here for six months just to kind of dig my teeth into the, to the cloud and just make it better for every developer at Optum. All right, thanks, Matt. Go ahead and get started. Like Kevin introduced, it is difficult to adopt new technologies within an enterprise. That's why we're here. We think we have a really great solution that people will be able to leverage, which is why we've chosen to open source it. So the purpose of this talk is really to introduce the product, introduce how it works, and see if we can get more people contributing to this effort so we can really build something powerful to help not just our developers trying to adopt the cloud, but everyone else as well. Actually, I want to start by focusing in on some, some questions. Think about a time that you or your team was asked to adopt a technology new to, your, to the enterprise. Raise your hand if you think that was easy. Okay, I would say keep your hands up for the next part, but I don't even see hands up because it also takes a lot of time. It is very time consuming to learn these technologies and we found this to really be a huge problem in moving the enterprise forward. But actually, before, so I'm gonna put a pause on that topic, I'm gonna come back to that. I wanna introduce a little bit about Optum and what we do as a company. How many people here have actually heard of Optum? Okay, great. Well, Optum, as you are aware of, is a health services innovation company. Our mission is to help people live healthier lives and help make the health system work better for everyone. So if you're familiar with United Health Group or United Healthcare, we're really the technology arm behind the scenes, powering and connecting all these services to help people live their best lives and improve their health outcomes. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is improve the experiences and outcomes for everyone we serve while reducing the total cost of care. That mission goes beyond just the patient and the patient experience. <clears throat> we serve many, many constituents of the health system. Government, 
health plans, hospitals, life sciences, employers, and consumers. That ultimately adds up to supporting 121 million consumers across the entire healthcare ecosystem. So it's really important we get the technology right behind the scenes. That's why we're here. Going back to the original question, adopting new technology is hard and it takes too much time. I'm gonna tell you about the experience that Optum developers had when leadership announced our Cloud First initiative. This might be an initiative everyone's familiar with, but what this initiative said was all new applications need to be hosted in the public cloud. And if you're not new, you need to think about how you could be cloud ready and figure out how to move forward with that task. Why did that matter? Why does our leadership care about that? Like everybody in the room knows, we needed to unlock the power of cloud native computing. We needed better tooling, scalability, technical freedom, modernized infrastructure, really just to support our applications and drive better solutions for our consumers. Hefty goals. When do you think our leadership needed that by? Yesterday, or actually probably even a few years before that. It's important to know that United Health Group has actually been doing business since 1977. That is a long time and a lot of technology to unravel and modernize. It gets, it gets even crazier though. We have 184,000 employees with about 60 to 100,000 hands on the keyboard developers in nearly every country around the world working on thousands of technologies of various maturities in countless industries that are part of healthcare. But it gets even crazier than that. United Health Group also invests billions annually in acquisitions. So you can take all of these moving parts of our technological ecosystem and add some more and more and even more. You can see how very quickly the Cloud First initiative was very confusing and hard to follow. It was not a paved path forward. So the business realized that this wasn't gonna just happen by itself. We needed to find a strategy and a way, kind of a gold paved path forward to make this happen for teams. What ended up happening was two main groups bubbled to the surface. Teams that had no idea about the cloud, they were not ready, this was new to them. And then there were teams that I would call more of our performance teams. They knew that they had to be cloud ready. They built it into their roadmap, they were working on modernizing, or they just started working with modern technologies for the cloud right away. Now the reason they did this would be, was because they had requirements from either government or external stakeholders that said you need to be in the cloud. This is a requirement to compete in the marketplace. Optum decided we needed to focus on enabling this group of users. So we built out everything that you would need to support enterprise non-production and production environments. That would include the chargebacks, the billing, the security, the monitoring, the operations, everything you need to make sure that they can be successful. And that worked really well for them. But what about everybody else who was still trying to figure out what they were doing? They were not having a good time. 
This brings us back to the problems that I actually started with. It was really, really painful. Teams were experiencing long wait times. They found themselves, teams that wanted to learn the cloud, found themselves in queues amongst these performant teams. They were trying to prove they could be safe in the cloud, but yet they had never been given a chance to learn and figure out what they were doing. So they would wait months, weeks. Their requests would end up being denied. It was not fun. Some teams did manage to get into the public cloud and have their, their non-prod environment to start learning. That's where financial troubles started coming in. People learned, teams learned very quickly that the public cloud was very different from our on-prem environment. It was easy to overspend. It was easy to accidentally spend too much. Additionally, there's also a common myth that moving to the cloud is going to save you lots of money. Just go to the cloud right now, save all the money. But teams, as they went in and started learning and trying to figure out what they were doing, they realized that was not the case until they had time to learn and figure things out. And finally, we cannot forget about our folks and our friends in operations. They were left with the mess of trying to maintain these learning environments. Orphaned resources, they also found orphaned accounts. People decided, actually, you know, I don't think I'm ready for the public cloud. Well, they left their accounts running. They maybe left the infrastructure running. It was a lot. And also, while we're learning, for show of hands, do you focus on security? Are you gonna get your security perfect while you're learning? No, of course not. So that added a lot of risk into our environments as well. So this is where our team came in and decided, what if we could just make it easy? At a push of a button, you have a cloud account. You don't have to worry about the finances, the security, the cleansing of this account. You can just have it. Matt, you want to tell them what we built? Absolutely, Marissa. Um, so what we built we call disposable cloud environment. Um, and actually, this is kind of timely because we're in Vegas, but for short, we call it DICE. Um, so there's four things that we had in mind. We wanted fast access. We wanted people to be able to push a button and get a cloud account, right? I remember once, actually, I went to a SageMaker workshop at an old employer, and I wasn't really able to participate because either I had to fill out a bunch of forms to get a cloud account to start playing around on, or I had to use my own personal account. I didn't want to do that, and I didn't really have time to fill out all those forms, so I actually couldn't participate. That's the exact kind of problem that we're trying to solve. We want people to be able to go to those workshops, press a button, and out comes a fresh account. And in addition to that, um, we also wanted to protect people from various uh, going over on your costs, right? I think everybody here, maybe not everybody, maybe just me, but has had those moments where you spin up maybe a two, couple too many servers and then you forget about it, and then you get a big bill, and then you're like, wait a minute. Um, I actually did this once. I came one, home one night. Um, I'd gone out, and I just decided I wanted to uh, make a new Magic the Gathering chatbot. So I spun up probably the largest EC2 instances you could find on AWS, and then I went to bed. And actually, a couple weeks later, I remember I was watching the movie The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. And for those of you who haven't seen that film, there's actually a pretty epic scene where Leonardo DiCaprio gets attacked by a bear. Um, and I remember, I didn't really catch that uh, scene because I actually got a phone call from my bank, 
And they were like, what's this $1,800 charge? And I was like, oh my gosh, those EC2 instances. Had to pause the movie. So the, the, these are the types of things that we want to kind of protect people from, right? We want something where we can say, okay, I'm not just going to give you a public cloud account, but I'm actually going to put some rules around it so that you don't actually spend too much money. And in addition to that, um, Marissa had talked about how our operations team had, had plenty of headaches dealing with a lot of orphaned resources. Um, we wanted to deal with that too. So in addition to getting a budget, we want to be able to create some kind of uh, interval of resetting accounts, right? Let's say every week we go through and we destroy all of the resources in the account so the operations team and the security people don't have to worry about, hey, those EC2 instances are setting out there, they have port 22 open, that could lead to vulnerabilities. So we wanted to solve for that. And at the base of everything, we wanted to kind of drive this 2019 cloud-native mindset. As Marissa had mentioned, we have a lot of employees at Optum, and a lot of people have a lot of different uh, processes for deploying their applications, and some of them aren't so pretty, I'll be real. Some of them are just kind of Word documents that they follow, maybe 27 pages long, and they have to do a bunch of manual steps. Well, if you're using a DICE account and your resources are getting wiped every week, well, that's gonna kind of enforce you to start kind of thinking about how you can implement things like infrastructure as code or continuous integration, right? So it's kind of pushing people into this mindset of thinking like a cloud-native engineer. So with that in mind, um, I'm actually gonna jump in and kind of show you how DICE works. I'm gonna give you a tour of the infrastructure of DICE, as well as how you'd kind of get uh, users set up to lease accounts, because um, it's, it, it's very, very simple. Um, but first, before I do that, I kind of want to step through some key concepts that I think will be kind of useful in explaining the tool. So there's a couple things you need to start out. Uh, one, you need, uh, you basically need one or more people in your organization who are gonna kind of be the administrators of DICE. Um, and you need one cloud account that's gonna be your master account. And that account is gonna have in it things like an API, right, so that you can make requests against DICE. Uh, it's gonna have a bunch of CloudWatch monitors and events, right, and those things are gonna kick off various lifecycle methods within the ecosystem. And in addition to that, you have two other things. You've got this reset workflow that I'll talk about in a little bit, and that's the thing that's gonna blow away all the resources on people's accounts. And uh, you have uh, DynamoDB, your kind of bread and butter serverless database solution, tracking the state of it. But once you have your master account, you also need one or more child accounts. So this is kind of a trickier little uh, kind of problem that we thought about for a bit, and, and we know that organizations have a lot of different ways that you wanna kind of set up your accounts. Um, maybe you already have an OU structure built. Um, maybe you want your accounts as part of a master billing account. So DICE actually gives you the freedom to kind of set that up for yourself. We don't really have an opinion on how you do that. The only thing you do need is you actually need an, an admin relationship, a, a trust relationship set up in IAM between the master account, and each of those child accounts. Um, and once you have that set up, you're good to go. Uh, and then users are gonna actually access those leases, um, sorry, access those accounts uh, via records that we call leases, you know, kind of like a car lease or something else. And uh, when they access them, they're gonna get an IAM role that puts a little bit of constraints on them just so they can't destroy any of the DICE-specific resources. 
So with that in mind, um, I'm gonna show you actually how easy it is to deploy DICE, because it's, it's pretty rad. There's two ways that you can deploy DICE. You can either do a Terraform module. This is great if you actually have a pre-existing kind of infrastructure as code, code base. Um, so you can, you can bring the Terraform module into your code base, and you can actually wire it in right there. But what I'm gonna show you today is actually how to deploy it with our CLI. So deploying with the CLI, there's two steps. The first thing you do is you run this command dice init, and that's gonna prompt you for some values. The first value you add is your authentication URL, and that's actually because dice has the capability to integrate with your organization's identity provider. So here in this example, I'm just putting in a bunch of dummy data, um, but that uh, authentication URL is something that I'm gonna talk about a little bit later when I discuss how users get into their accounts. So then the next thing that you're gonna do is you're actually gonna ask it, or it's gonna ask you for some of your credentials for your master account. Um, in the most recent version of this CLI, it doesn't do that, it just uses the environment variables. Um, so I'm just gonna put some dummy data in here, test, test. And um, what's actually kind of interesting is a lot of the CLI, it's, it, uh, you know, we're an agile shop, it's kind of, it's, it's progressed quite a bit just in the last couple weeks. Um, unfortunately, one of our developers uh, couldn't make it to the conference, so he's kind of stuck at home uh, nursing the pull requests out to improve the CLI. Um, so once you have your uh, credentials in there, you can choose a region. Uh, DICE can be run in any region that supports all the services for it, so it's not actually limited to just the four here. So right now, if you were to download the CLI, you can choose from any region. And once you have that picked, it's gonna ask you for a few other values that we're gonna leave blank right now. One of them is an API endpoint uh, URL, and that's, that's for the API gateway that we're about to deploy. And that you put in there just so that you can tell the CLI, when I make these commands, um, what API are you gonna hit against? So that's something that we'll config after we do our deploy. So we're just gonna leave those blank for now. And then it's gonna ask us for a GitHub token, which also we don't need anymore because this thing is public. Um, and once you have that all ready to go, it's gonna save that configuration into a .dice.yaml file in your home directory, and you'll be ready to go. So now we have the configuration set, and so deploying dice is actually just as easy as running this one command. You say dice system deploy. And you can actually provide some arguments to override certain values within the configuration. Like if you want your own kind of limits for budgets, limits for how a, di uh, how a lease would expire, you can override those here. In this example, I'm, I'm uh, providing a budget notification from email, and that's because DICE actually has the capability to send your users messages to let them know when they're over budget. And then the rest of this stuff is just kind of your typical um, Terraform uh, CLI output. But once you have that ready to, uh, once you have that, uh, once, once everything is deployed, you're ready to go. And actually the amount of resources that it stands up for you is, is, is pretty crazy. Um, don't, you know, this is, you know, this is a tech conference, there's a lot of these kind of like overwhelming architecture diagrams, so don't feel like you have to like soak this all in right now. I'm actually gonna walk through piece by piece each of, each of these little chunks, sections of this diagram and show you how they work and how we built it with the rest of DICE. Uh, however, just to kind of go through the main eight services that we did use to create DICE, um, it's composed of uh, Amazon SQS, we use that to handle kind of the resetting lifecycle of accounts. 
We use Amazon Cognito for integrating with IDPs. Uh, we use Amazon CloudWatch for setting up um, CloudWatch events that get fired off at an interval to reset accounts and check lease statuses. Um, as I said before, we have an Amazon DynamoDB in there. That's you know, kind of your signpost serverless uh, database technology. And then we actually have um, an event layer that your organization can integrate with, which I'll, I'll also kind of tell you about in a second. And that, uh, we use Amazon SNS for that, so. And then on top of that, we have code build for running reset. And then AWS Lambda and Amazon API Gateway for handling requests and, and just kind of doing the business logic. So now that we've actually deployed it, let's, let's get into creating an account and leasing that out to a user. So like I said, um, you, once you have your child account, trust relationship set up, actually adding that account to the accounts pool so that it can be leased to a user is as easy as running this command. So we're gonna say dice accounts add, and we're gonna provide two arguments. The first argument is the account ID. So here I'm gonna type that in because everyone types in account IDs, they don't paste them. Um, and then the next thing that we're gonna add is the admin role ARN. That's that uh, role that I had mentioned earlier that you need to have set up. And that's just gonna tell Dice, hey, when you wanna get into this account, try to assume this role. And once you have that ready to go, I'm actually gonna show you what, uh, what happens in the database and how it's persisted. So here we go, we're gonna run that command and the account's been added. So when the account gets added, we can go over, we can go to DynamoDB, we can just make sure that we're not crazy and make sure that the account actually saved there. So I'm gonna click into the DynamoDB table here, the accounts table, and there we go. There's our uh, 4233 account. It's marked as ready, uh, which means that it can be leased. Uh, if it wasn't ready, it would just say not ready. And then here we can see um, that we've done a couple of things. Uh, one thing is we've saved that admin ARN role in there. And then we also actually created a second role inside of that account, and that's the role that users are going to assume into when they access that account. So DICE sets up that role for you. And if you actually wanna override that account with your, or sorry, if you wanna override that uh, IAM role with your own policy, you can do that as well. Everything inside of DICE is completely configurable, and everything can be overridden. So you can always add your own policies where you need to. And then here, the, the last thing we do, uh, besides asserting that that trust relationship works and adding that role, is we actually reset the account to set it back to zero to make sure that there's no just kind of cruft lying around here. And so if I go into code build and I let the page load for a second, I will see that the uh, code build has actually kicked off and it succeeded. So under the hood here, uh, what I did not mention is in addition to using those AWS services, we use AWS Nuke to destroy resources on accounts. So AWS Nuke is an open source tool, and if anybody here actually is a contributor of AWS Nuke, let's chat, let's collaborate, because we really want to make this tool awesome with you. But here, if we look in the environment variables for that code build, we can see that indeed it reset that uh, 40, uh, 4233 account. So now we're ready to go. The account is in there. So if we wanted to actually give it to a user, to lease, we can do that in just another simple command. So I'm gonna say dice leases create, and I'm gonna provide four arguments. The first argument, I'm gonna provide a budget, right? That kind of gets back, this is the number, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna check against this number throughout the lease to say, 
hey, have they uh, spent over 250 bucks? And then we also, um, you could provide a, a budget currency, right? It doesn't just track things in US dollars. You can override it with, you know, whatever country's currency you want. So I'm gonna say US dollars. And then um, I had mentioned that DICE actually sends out notifications, right? To tell you when you've almost hit your budget and also to tell you when you have hit your budget. So here I'm gonna say, these are the email addresses I want to get notified when things are happening in my account. And then the last thing we add is a principal ID. So this principal ID has to kind of correspond back to a user ID in your identity provider. And this is gonna, this field is actually how we declare who owns the lease. So as an administrator, you can create a lease for any user, um, but as a user, you can only create leases for yourself. And so here, once I actually run that command, I get the uh, API output and I can see that my lease has been created. Um, one thing that we did not provide uh, in, this, in this API request is actually an expiration date. You can provide your own expiration date when you create a lease, or if you don't provide one, it'll use the system default. Um, the system default, like everything else in DICE, can be overridden, but by default, it is seven days. So here we have this lease that's good for seven days. That means that this user can use this account in any way they want to uh, within the confines of the uh, IM role that we created and um, they, can, they can start um, basically developing on it. So before I talk about you know, how you would actually use this account, let's just look at what creating that lease did. So we remember that we created that account and that account was in the ready state. So now if we go back to Dynamo, um, we have a couple new things. We have that lease record created and the principal ID is the one that I provided and then it populated the rest of the data here. And this is kind of interesting here. When I was recording this demo, I had to like anticipate how long I would talk about each thing as I scrolled over. This one I think I went a little too long on. Um, <laughs> so here we can see that the lease is actually marked as active, right, which means that a user can use it. Um, and then back here we can see that that account is the account that is being leased out, the one that we had just added earlier. And then if we go back to the accounts table, there you go. That lease, or that account is no longer in the ready state, it's now in the leased state, which means that a user has been assigned to that account. So right there, kind of going back to that architecture diagram, just to kind of give context to like um, what the resources we created actually do, uh, those CLI commands just wrap API requests. And they're gonna hit up an API gateway that's linked to the leases, to the accounts, and to a usage table. Um, and that usage table is something that I did not mention, um, but I'll talk about it in a second, but it's, it's actually all of the cost data, all of the uh, budgeting information um, is actually persisted in a DynamoDB table uh, that your organization can use to, if you wanna do chargebacks or anything else, you can use that. Um, but DICE also uses that to do budget checks against the user. And um, I'm gonna talk about that just in a moment. So the other part of this architecture that we just kind of exercised there was the reset workflow. So the reset workflow um, has, there's, uh, there's two ways you can get into it. Either you can write a message directly to an SQS queue, or uh, 
the reset workflow will actually just check every 12 hours for accounts that aren't ready so that it's continually resetting accounts. And that's kind of a good thing because um, when you have a lot of resources on accounts, it can take kind of a long time to destroy them. So, and also AWS Nuke, it's an open source tool. Um, sometimes it'll just error out. So this means that you're constantly kind of clearing the accounts and making sure that everything that is in a not ready state is at least trying to become back to ready. So once we actually, uh, once a message gets into that queue, we have a uh, Lambda that reads from that queue and for each message, it'll spin up a code build job. And that code build job, like I said, is gonna execute the nuke process. And then once it completes, it'll set that account back to ready and it'll send out an SNS notification to say, hey, this account's done. So now that we actually have a lease created and we have our account there, um, I'm gonna show you how easy it is to actually get into that, right? Because this is the point, right? Is to make it very frictionless for a user to get into an account and start developing. So if we wanna log in, again, it's just a simple, uh, simple CLI command. Um, all we have to say is dice leases login. And in this example, I'm gonna add that dash B flag and that's gonna say that I want you to open up a browser session. So I'm gonna say dice leases login dash B, and then the next thing I'm gonna provide is the ID of the lease. And then bada bing, bada boom, we press enter, and it's just gonna authenticate against our API, create a session for you, and open uh, the browser right into that account. It's pretty crazy, right? So if you look in the top right corner, uh, we can see that we actually have assumed into that role that dice created for you. So now we can actually start having fun, right? We can start, this is where, you know, back when I was at that other company, I would start doing my SageMaker workshop or start messing around with EKS, just kind of start learning how to do the cloud. So um, I'm gonna make an S3 bucket in here uh, to store some stuff. And then I'm just gonna show you uh, how we would authenticate on our local machine uh, against our account. So if you want to authenticate locally, it's actually even easier than opening up the browser session. You just simply run the same command, except you don't have that dash B flag. And when you do that, um, it's actually going to, again, go up to our leases API. It's gonna create a session for you and create some credentials. And then it's gonna write those credentials into the .aws slash credentials file on your local machine. So then, once we have the credentials there, we can actually just start fiddling around, right? We could, we could take these credentials, we could put them into a pipeline, uh, we could start using SDKs, we could do really whatever we wanted. But here, just to show you that this totally works, I'm just gonna say AWS S3 LS, and when I run that command, we can see that that bucket that we just made actually gets listed in the output. So one thing um, that is, there's actually a pull request open right now for, it's, it's a thing I actually have not mentioned yet, which is how users authenticate with your organization's IDP. So what we do is we're using AWS Cognito, and that's gonna integrate with your IDP, and so users on their machine, they'll just run a dice auth command, and that's gonna open up a browser to that authentication URL where they're gonna get a token and they're gonna use that token to hit up the API. So then when it comes to actually ensuring that a lease um, is not over budget or if it's not expired, uh, we, have, we have a whole lifecycle process for monitoring that. So there's three ways that a lease can actually um, end. And that's it can go over budget, 
it can expire, or you can manually deactivate the lease yourself. Um, and this, you know, you might wonder, like, why would you manually deactivate the lease? Um, we actually have some users that really like this at Optum, because sometimes you're just, like, banging away on your cloud account, and you just kind of get into a weird state, and you just kind of don't want to deal with it anymore. So it's okay to just throw it away, right? That's the whole point. These are disposable cloud accounts, right? So you just run this command, you just say dice leases end, and that'll end your lease. And so once you actually end your lease, it's gonna kick off a few things. So let's, let's go back in Dynamo and let's just make, let's just check the state of our, our um, database here. So let's go to the accounts table, and we can see that after we ended that lease, the account's been marked as not ready. And that's because that account is in the process of being reset, right? So everything is being blown away on that account. It's being, um, just being uh, wiped away of all of its resources and getting ready to get back into the account pool. And if we look at the lease record, we can see that it is now inactive. And in addition to that, we actually have a lease status reason. So as users add more leases, you can actually query against Dynamo to see like, hey, are people hitting their budgets? Are people hitting their expiration dates? Are people manually destroying it? They just get a little bit more insight on how people are using your app if you want to increase or lower certain budgeting thresholds. So here now, if we look over in code build, we can see code build's kicked off. So if we check out the environment variables, there we go. It's that 4233 account again that's being reset. Pretty cool. So then um, if we look in the, if we go back to our child account, once the reset process has finished and we go into S3, we can see that indeed that S3 bucket that I made is gone, right? So it's just as easy as that. You end the lease, blows away everything in the account and gets it ready for the next person. So right there we exercised uh, this, this kind of one of these last little bits of the architecture. And this is our budget and lease-like cycle uh, workflow. And so every six hours, um, every six hours there's a, there's a Lambda function that actually just goes through all the leases and it kicks off a process for each of the leases. And that process is gonna say, hey, Cost Explorer, what's the last six hours of usage from this lease? And then it looks in the usage table and it adds them together and if it's over budget, then it deactivates the lease. And it looks at the expiration date after that, and it says, okay, is this budget expired? Okay, it is, deactivate the lease. And if, those, and if it's been deactivated, then it sends a message to that SQS, and that's gonna do the reset process. And then it takes all of that data from the usage and it puts it in the usage table so you can persist it later. And the usage table, it, it can get pretty big. So we actually have it by default on a 30-day TTL. Um, and the usage table for Optum is pretty, it's pretty cool. We use it for charging back different departments, you know, so we know who's spending what, and so we kind of have that cost kind of spread out. And uh, in addition to that, there's also an API endpoint that a user can hit up to actually see how much of their budget they've used so far. And in addition to that, as an administrator, you have more advanced, you have a more advanced querying interface to check what other people are doing in their leases. So, there are a lot of, there are many times where you might want to integrate with, with some part of the life cycle, right? Um, if a lease is created or if an account is created, you might have some system inside of your organization that kind of just wants to know what's happening inside of DICE. 
And so DICE actually exposes this event layer. And so we use SNS, like I'd mentioned earlier, to uh, publish notifications when anything happens inside of DICE, right? So if a lease has been created, if a lease has been, uh, if it goes over budget, or if account's been added, um, there's an SNS topic, and all you have to do is subscribe to that, and then your system can get the notifications about what's happening, and if you have more custom logic you would like to do, um, you can do that uh, right with these events. So that was uh, somewhat of a whirlwind tour. What, I mean, can, can I get some head nods? Do you guys think that your organization would be into this? You feeling it? Cool, I like that. Um, so I can say as a developer so far, this has been like an absolute game changer for our organization. Um, it's taken a lot of the friction out of people getting ready and getting started on the accounts. And actually, Marissa has a few testimonials that she would like to tell us about. So this is my favorite part of being in product. Really finding out, did what we build make your problems less painful? Did it actually help you? And so far, what our users are saying is we hit the mark. This, a lot of these testimonials came from early adopters, people that attended early launch events. Um, this first one I really like because he says the learning curve is going to be one of our hardest challenges. And this is going to be a helpful first step for many. Additionally, if you already have a non-prod or production environment, you can still have DICE if you need to learn. This user said that their non-prod environment and automation somehow got messed up, but his hands weren't tied. He was able to get his DICE environment and keep coding throughout the day. And this one is my favorite. It just works. You don't have to care about any of the enterprise stuff. You just get in your account and you just start going. Now remember how I talked a little bit about security? and some of our other stake operational stakeholders that were interested in this as well. Did it work for them? So I wanna explain this 50% decrease in severe misconfigurations. In order to keep our environment safe, we apply the same vulnerability and risk kind of, we, we define what a vulnerability is, and then we track it across our non-prod and production environments. We treat both equally, because security is equally as important, whether it's non-prod or prod. With that, we keep track of how severe is this vulnerability, how long has it been opened, um, and how long has it been out there. So what happened was in the first month of being live with DICE, we saw a 50% decrease in those vulnerabilities in our non-prod environment. It meant our non-prod environment was 50% more secure because these users had moved over to a system where they could effectively learn. And additionally, we saw a 99% decrease in those enterprise environments of people that self-volunteered and said, yeah, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go to my learning environment. I don't want to be part of non-prod. That was a huge, huge step towards better security and reducing our vulnerabilities. Matt? So what would you say? Uh, do you think your organization is uh, into dice? Or would you say that you are ready to roll the dice? Well, <laughs> <laughs> We've got great news for you. Um, DICE is actually open source, right? This is an open source talk. And as of yesterday, this repository is officially public. So you can go in there. You can star it, fork it, clone it, do whatever you want. And you can actually deploy DICE to your organization. Uh, as Kevin had mentioned, this was kind of a collab piece between Optum and AWS, which was super awesome to work with them to get that guidance. Um, but one thing I would love to do is kind of encourage you to join us on this open source journey. 
So actually, just this week alone, I think I've heard from about five different companies who are trying to come up with their own solution for something like this. I say, why do it separately, right? Why not just come together and make it ourselves? And I actually heard in another talk somebody say something that you can't have one team match the pace of AWS innovations, right? You can't really have one team kind of creating something that's going to wipe out all of the resources that AWS could create because there's just so many of them. Well, that's the point of open source software, right? That's what we want to do. We want to kind of crowdsource this tool. We want the rest of the community to join us on this journey to actually make this disposable cloud environment the most robust tool uh, for your organization and for ours. So with that said, um, I got to give shout outs to the rest of the dev team. Um, I am not the only developer on DICE. Um, in addition to Kevin DeYoung, uh, we also had, um, and I'm going to call some people on stage, and they're going to join us for the Q&A. Uh, we've got Idan Schwartz. He's one of our um, developers who, uh, he, he did a lot of the kind of like initial proof of concept work with the reset workflow. Uh, we've got Amuda Polani. I call her the chief financial officer of DICE <laughs> uh, because she's actually one who wrote all the budget check work and all that logic. And then we have Josh Marsh. He's that poor soul that's back in the Twin Cities uh, making pull requests right now. Um, and then Nathan Good uh, did a lot of work in refactoring our leasing model to make it more robust and immutable. So at this point, I'm actually going to open it up for questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's a microphone right there at the end of the stage. Uh, yes, you. So there actually is no delete account API. So if um, Yeah, I mean, so, so something we've talked about, and like, it would be super cool if, if instead of reusing, if we could just get rid of them, um, and it would reduce some risk around, you know, what if something didn't get nuked or whatever. Um, I mean, the, the main thing was how to build automation around that, um, and we're, we're kind of hoping maybe this is something AWS will support in the future for more automated deletions. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we've talked about, well, maybe we do have some intermediary status where we say, you know, here's accounts that we're actually like, you know, park to get ready to get rid of somehow. Um, or maybe we have a system where we say, like, you know, we don't want accounts older than X number of days. Um, so something we, we've kind of been talking through and thinking about as well. Yeah, I'm totally. That's a good question. Oh, yes, you in the front. Uh, that is a really good question um, that we totally have been asked before. Um, it does work with landing zone. Um, it's, I, I don't think there's anything uh, that, about DICE that is incompatible with landing zone. You can still use landing zone with DICE. Um, it would just. So DICE doesn't create the accounts, and that's what Matt was talking about earlier, how we're very unopinionated about how, like, how exactly your accounts are created or how exactly your accounts um, have the relationship. This is really about more about creating those controls for resetting uh, an account based on expiry time or 
or a budget, you know, a budget amount. Um, and that's really kind of the purpose of the tool. Um, not, not necessarily like an account vending machine or account, you know, landing zone where it's going out and creating the account. That's just not the, it's not the goal. So I use it myself, um, just as an aside really quick, actually on my own account, because I, I had something very similar to Matt. I didn't blow that much money. Um, but I had something where I set up something at home and, and was experimenting and Beer 30 came along on Friday afternoon and I go and I forget about it. And, you know, so I got a bill at the end of the month. So I actually just use this for myself, actually. I have got an account that I can just feel free to, you know, sandbox in and doesn't allow, doesn't, doesn't make an excuse for me to be irresponsible for it, but it's an extra safeguard. You know, mine's not set to 250 bucks. I think mine's set to 25, you know, at home. And it, but it, it'll prevent me from having that overage. And then the nice thing is every Monday morning, you know, whatever, it's, it's basically wiped out and, and free and ready to use again, so. I think one way to think about is, is DICE is an addition to what you could be doing with your landing zone and your control tower setup. So by default, uh, we only give access to the things that Nuke can destroy. Um, so as Nuke gets more robust, the policy itself will be expanded. But um, again, if, if there's something that your organization needs that Nuke can't destroy, um, these are sort of your developers. Uh, there's all the lifecycle events that you could actually implement your own custom deletion onto that if you wanted to. Um, but yes, by default, we just we we only allow services that new can destroy. Um, and addition, in addition to that, we would actually probably recommend that your organization implement like a service control policy, um, just at a higher level to like absolutely lock down um, anything that you don't want people to mess with. Um, and that's something that's actually mentioned in our docs. And we do have a, an example service control policy that you could use to lock down the accounts. So your question is, uh, as soon as the budget is uh, reached, whether the account gets locked? Yes. Yes. You will be getting an email notification. So, so you're limited by, uh, we're apparently limited by Cost Explorer here. Um, so Cost Explorer updates every six hours in AWS accounts. Um, so that's the only information we have to figure out how much you're spending in the account. Um, so there is a window of six hours where, yeah, you could technically go over uh, that budget, but then we'll check in that six hours and lock you out. Um, Uh, there's a couple levels of configuration there. Um, so the first level is add in it, and at that point, imagine you're an administrator of Dice. You know, you're kind of setting this up for your org. Um, and at that level, so you can set some defaults there, 
right? So you can set a default saying um, if I, somebody makes a lease, like it's going to be seven days or it's going to be, you know, however many days or whatever. Um, you're also able to set max mm -hmm. limits on that too. Um, so you can say, well, default seven, but actually don't let anybody make one longer than 10 days, right? Um, and the same for a budget. When you create a budget as an end user, you can actually specify what you want your budget to be. You know, you can say I want $100 or $1,000 or anything, but it's the same as an administrator. You can configure and say the max budget is, you know, $100. Nobody can ask for a lease higher than that. Yeah, Correct. I mean, unless you want them to, but yeah, yeah. I would probably not recommend <laughs> yeah. it. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, you can say you, so you say when, when you initialize dice, you can say uh, for this instance of dice, I don't want any budget above $100. Yeah, and then when you actually create the lease itself, um, you can set the budget there. So it doesn't have to be seven, uh, $100, it could be $50. Yeah, and the, I think we mentioned too, so we walked through some of the CLI stuff. Um, but under the hood, this is all one big Terraform module for setting up all that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like 53 different, you know, tweakable variables for configuring all this stuff. Um, I super recommend going into the docs and we kind of walk through some of these use cases for, you know, how to configure budgets, how to control leases, how to, you know, customize IAM policies and all this stuff. Yeah, you could use um, DICE for something like an ephemeral testing environment. Um, we've talked about using these kind of temporary accounts with regards to like doing deploys, right? So if you were to do a build or a deploy, you create a short lease for your account, you build your resources, create your artifact, and then you tear that account down by ending your lease. So it, it definitely does have other uses. That's a good question. And yeah, what's up? It is just the sum right now, but um, that's something that we really want at Optum as well, is that breakdown. Um, so that's something that's definitely, I would say, is, is, is on our roadmap to add. Have we mentioned you can open pull requests on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, that would be an awesome issue. Like, when this is done, go grab your computer, like, open an issue, I will thumbs up it. Yeah. Because um, it's something we've heard from product, yeah. too. You know, they don't only want to just block people, but they want to know, like, hey, we just led a workshop on using EKS. Like, are people doing it? You know, mm -hmm. are they continuing to use it afterwards? Um, that's really interesting product insight. Yeah, definitely. That is insight we are hoping to drive within product, really trying to, especially within Optum as well, understanding what, what resources people are using and kind of having additional information. How do you secure that? How do you efficiently use that? So being able to drive that through that system is exactly where we want to go. AWS, AWS Cost Explorer also gives you that information. So we have to capture that information in our usage database, and then we can give that information to you when we say this is your cost. We can also break it down to what exactly to that, like which by resource also we will be able to break it down. In the back. Uh, do you have any uh, governance or controls around what types of data can be used by some of these? 
Definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, at United Healthcare, we have pretty rigid uh, set of compliance laws that we have to follow about what's exposed and how we lock that down. So specifically at UHG slash Optum, we have like a strict no, no uh, production data, no private data, nothing like that. Um, but there's nothing in DICE that is going to enforce that for you. Um, so if you were going to kind of try to enforce something like that, that's kind of an example of how you would use uh, the event interface to kind of control that. Um, and there are also other pretty cool open source tools um, that provide that capability as well to kind of lock down certain types of events. It's a great question. All right, well, Anybody? if, oh yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So your question is how we are managing the chargebacks. So we have the budget amounts. We, uh, each and every lease has a budget amount in the lease. So after every six hours when the budget check runs, it looks at the cost explorer, the data that it has collected in the usage database, compares it against what is the budget amount. And if it is greater, then we mark it for uh, saying that this, this account has crossed the budget, so we need to make it uh, lo locked, lock this account, basically. Lock the lease account. So when you're taking the actual, actual usage data and bringing that back into the business, how are you doing that? Yeah, so we, we generate a report that we use um, with our own kind of internal like rate cards and processes. So we, we basically were tying that plus your employee information and your cost center information. That all gets kind of merged together with the usage that we collect. And then from there, we take that and process that through our own internal financial processing. But basically, it's kind of a combination of this plus our own financial yeah. business logic. Yeah, it, it'll use the, um, it'll basically take that principal ID that we pr uh, provide with each lease, and it'll use that to kind of match them up in Active Directory that we have on-prem. And then it'll kind of get their employee information, figure out what organization they're in, and it will sum the costs and generate a report from there. Whether that includes your tax? Tags. We, we do have plans in place to actually use tagging to kind of get into a little bit about what the other question was around what resources are mm -hmm. these, who made them, where are they coming from. So I think there's actually a lot more enhancements we want to do around that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now we're, um, so we're federating with uh, Active Directory, um, so our, the principles in our system match up to a user in our Active Directory that we're able to then know what department they belong to, that's how we're doing that. Right now, we are basically generating a spreadsheet to say, okay, this team or this user and this user's manager is 
the X, and this is the amount of chargeback. So, but the manual, it is basically, uh, we give that spreadsheet to our finance team and they take care of billing. One thing I'd point out too is that there's, there's not any, um, or the idea at least at Optum is not to have kind of any central, you know, controller of these accounts that's handing them out. It's really meant to be self-service. Um, so the CLI you see is a CLI that will be available to, you know, every engineer at Optum. Um, they'll be able to go in and create their own lease. Um, we, have, we have a separate process within Optum that they can get approval to spend that money. Um, but, but it's not kind of a centrally controlled piece. So really the developer's driving it. Um, and then as I say, we're able to tie it back within our Active Directory system and to their department. Right. Does that answer your question? Oh, hey. Oh, right. hey. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, if there are no questions, I just, I guess, want to say thank you all very much for coming. Um, this has really been a big uh, project for us that we've been very, very excited to share with everybody about. So, like I said, it's open source. Hit it up, fork it, star it, use it at your company. Help us make it good. Um, and remember to uh, also fill out the session evaluation form. Awesome. Thank you all very much Thank for you. coming.